Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your goodness to us, your goodness expressed in so many ways. I thank you, God, for the primary expression of your goodness in Jesus' descent to earth. Fully God, fully man. The mystery we can't comprehend and the love that we can't live without. I just ask, Father, as we look to the word now that you would open our eyes and the eyes of our hearts to see and to know uh, truth. I ask, Lord, for encouragement this morning and for strengthening and for truth. So, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Change us into the likeness of Jesus. For his sake and in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, uh, two things have happened recently that are kind of the prompting for this morning's message. And one of those is uh, Jane and I and our family had an opportunity a couple of, some season ago, I don't know, a month ago or so, to be in California. And um, we were there for the uh, Vineyard National Pastors Conference with other leaders and uh, staff members. And it was great. Just before that conference, our family had the chance to drive up to Redding, California. And so we had a Sunday morning at the Bethel Church of Redding. Some of you have heard we sing a lot of Bethel music, and some of you may be familiar with their ministry. It was a, it was a beautiful time. It was just really fun to be there. It is the first church that I've ever been to where people line up an hour before the service starts to get into the sanctuary. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, people line up in front of our coffee machine, but... Uh, no, it was beautiful. It's wonderful. Great. They have a gifting for worship. They have, a, I think, an anointing to, to host God's presence, and they're very real. And so it was great. And um, the senior leader there, Bill Johnson, spoke that morning from Isaiah 35. He actually spoke from about a thousand places. But it was Isaiah 35 that really prompted me. And so I just want to let you know that's kind of my launching point, is a couple of things that he said from that morning that have made me think specifically about the connection between compassion and power. That's what it really, it struck me as he was talking that, wow, there's this constant Old Testament, New Testament, certainly in the life of Jesus, connection between compassion, us feeling God's heart for people and allowing it to move us, and the power manifested from heaven through us. You look at the life of Jesus and they're just never apart. He felt compassion upon them because they were sheep, you know, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he goes and heals people. He looks and he weeps and then he raises the dead. It's this link between compassion and power. And um, the, the second thing that happened was just this last Monday night right here in the sanctuary, we had a meeting of intercessors. There are about 50 people on a, a team called David's Army and they pray throughout weeks and in a, over a month, about 50 people praying for you praying for this church, praying for leaders, praying for the church in the city, praying for our ability to live out the calling as a church that God's given to us. And um, as a, an encouragement, um, my wife Jane brought in a guy named Carmine from a church in Fishers called Creekside Ministries. Carmine, someday you'll just have to meet him. Carmine's about eight foot of something. And that's a slight exaggeration, but not big. And um, used to be a professional wrestler, like WWF, 26 years as a professional wrestler, 51 countries, he beat people up, and um, had a dramatic conversion about a decade ago, 
And he just, he's from the Bronx, and he just carries the whole deal, you know? And it was really beautiful. And he came in his tenderness, and he just was praying for us and encouraging us. And he gave us, the 50 people there, but representatively, he gave us, the Vineyard Church of Indianapolis, a word, a word of encouragement. And it so struck me that I felt like I needed to share it with you, because what he did without knowing it is he spoke a part of our identity. And when you know who you are, you know what to do, right? When you know who you are, you know what to do. Sometimes we get it back turned around. We think we are what we do. It doesn't work that way. When you know who you are, then you do what you do out of that. I mean, that's just kingdom truth. And so he spoke this to us, and this is what he said. He said, I was in your church maybe... a." Uh, uh, before Easter and you were having this prayer thing. We do this prayer thing every year. We do 50 days of prayer um, back there 24-7. And he said, someone invited me in and so I came to your prayer room. And he said, I walked into the prayer room and I knelt down and I expected that God would speak to me for me or whatever. And he said, immediately when I closed my eyes, I saw a vision. And this is what he saw. He said, I saw your church. I saw the vineyard and it was as if you all were one person. So think of us as a church, four or five hundred, maybe six hundred, if you counted everyone who ever came and their animals, you know. So I saw you all as one and you were kneeling. So the whole church, but as one and you were kneeling. And he said, the Lord himself came up next to you and he knelt next to you. And then he lifted you up and he said, God was uh, telling me that he was lifting you up to see people and the city from heaven's perspective. Like you get to see from heaven. You get to see with God's eyes and you get to feel with God's heart. He said, it's as if uh, a part of your identity and therefore your calling as a church is to do that same thing for others. That as a body though it could manifest in the individual ministry, as a body, we kneel down with people and we raise them up. He said specifically, you reposition them. You, that was, that's the word that got me, is you reposition them. You just, slight adjustments, slight repositioning that actually bring freedom. And uh, that hit me because I think as a church, maybe it's my personality, my passionate up and down personality, but sometimes in the charismatic style church in general, we want the big dramatic <laughs> changed forever, right? And sometimes it's the slight adjustment. Sometimes it's patience in the Lord for the, for the tender repositioning. And it's, you, you know, we have a, a ministry of healing, but we ourselves don't do the healing. The power comes from God. It manifests through us. We get to declare it, and that's beautiful. But it's God who does the healing. And so I imagine us as a body, wherever we're sent, repositioning people ever so tenderly, lifting them up with heaven's eyes and speaking to them. Now, just this, and there you are in the place where God can do in your life what only God can do. I, I, it struck me. So I got this compassion and this power in this Isaiah 35 and this vision of our church, and I thought, well, I just got to announce it. So for the next three to four hours, <laughs> no, for the next some time, I'm going to talk about that.
Let me give you the context of Isaiah 35 real, real quickly. Isaiah in general is a book where God's declaring his purposes um, for the world and the coming king and the coming kingdom. So the Lord speaks through Isaiah the prophet 700 years before the coming of Christ and he's declaring what the kingdom will look like when the righteous king comes. The funny thing about Isaiah is a lot of times when you're reading the book of Isaiah, you don't know what he's talking about. Is he talking about then? Is he talking about the time of Jesus? Is he talking about now or the future or the big future? And as my answer is often to that question, the answer is yes. It's kind of all of that. And I don't think we need to uh, dissect the specific commands and promises out of the prophet because the kingdom has come, right? Jesus came. He was the righteous king. He, he established the kingdom of God. It's coming in its fullness when he comes back again. And we live between the times. If you've been here three times, you've heard me say this four times, right? We live between the times. It's the tension of the now and the not yet. And the, promise, the promises in Isaiah are a whole lot of now. A whole lot of now. And so Isaiah um, 32, there's the announcement of the coming righteous king. It's Jesus, and he's come, and he's coming again. And there's this picture in these chapters about the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And any time in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is sort of exemplified, a movement of the Holy Spirit, it's always refreshment. It's always barren places becoming fruitful. It's always life-giving water to the thirsty. It's always healing and life, and breath, and, you know, reunification to, what, to God's purposes and restoration. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings healing. He brings increase of all that is good. See, I, Ezekiel 47, in the end of Revelation, in John 7, where Jesus says, you know, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the promise. It's for now. And um, Isaiah 33 then, uh, he says, and he's talking about Jesus. This is, this is a fascinating verse. He says, and he will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. How many of you have uh, observed the world and recognized that it's not completely stable right now? Okay, right. It's not completely stable. And yet the promise from Isaiah 700 years before the coming of Christ and who knows how long before the second coming, he says, he, the king, will be the stability of your times. And what that says to me is this, the king has come and he lives within us. He's the prince of peace. Where we walk, we bring peace. Where we go, we carry stability. I mean, it's a, it's a responsibility, but more than that, it's a privilege. So the jobs and the houses and the neighborhoods and the places of work and play and even those places that you go to escape from everything, those places you're called to bring stability because Jesus is in you. He will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation and knowledge and wisdom, and it's in you. So just think about that when you walk out of your house tomorrow morning into whatever situation you might go into, you carry a peaceful presence. How many workplaces, you don't have to put your hand up, 
How many workplaces, families, etc. need a peaceful presence? Well, guess what? You're it. You're it. Because Jesus is in you. And that's a little adjustment of brain that says, I don't have to be the one affected. I can be the one with impact. Because the Prince of Peace lives within me. just want you to carry that little nugget out into your week with you. You carry a peaceful presence in the world. Now let me give you this word of encouragement. So there's the context of Isaiah, some fun stuff. This word of... um, Wait, I gave you the word, right? Did I give you the word from Carmine already? I said that? Good thing we don't have three services. (laughs) Let's read Isaiah chapter 35. Okay, so this is Isaiah 35, 1 to 7. This is the promise of God through the prophet Isaiah for then and for now and to come. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. And encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he'll open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. A parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. That is a whole heck of a lot of good news. And when I read a passage like that, I mean, it's flowery, it's magnificent, and I'm always looking in the midst of that. For God, wait, what's your part of this and what's my part of that? You know, I say it all the time because I stole it from a hero of mine. There's God's part and our part, and we can't do God's part, and he won't do our part. So sometimes when I look at the scripture, I just say, God, I know you're doing a lot here. What's on my plate? That's fair, right? Who likes a clear job description? You're like, you want to know what's expected. And God gives it to us here clearly. So let me look at the first two verses and the last three verses and say, here's God's part in Isaiah 35. Verses 1 and 2. Oh, is that it? Oh, that is it. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Just show, goes to show that you can't do what God has already done. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with crocuses. This is God's work, right? This is God's work, making the wilderness and the desert glad. I mean, what does that look like? How, how do we know? What does a happy desert look like? dancing grains of sand or something. I I mean, I don't know. This is clearly the work of God. You know, you poured water in a sandbox. You can't make that thing not be a sandbox. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with crocuses. The greenest thumb in this building today cannot make a crocus bloom. It's the hand of God that plants the bulb. It's the hand of God that gives the rain. It's the hand of God that draws forth the beauty. We can't do it. This is God's work. 
physically, figuratively, in every way, this is God's work. An abundance of flowers and singing and joy, deserts becoming green and mountains. The the Lord, here's the operative phrase, the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. This is God's work. God displays his own glory. Sometimes he does it through us. Sometimes he does it before us. Sometimes he does it to us. Sometimes he does it in spite of us, right? But the work of God is to display his glory, his splendor. God does not need a marketing department. He really doesn't. He's got that part covered. He's the creator of the universe. We get to watch it and be a part of it and cooperate with it. So this is God's work. The miraculous is God's work. Turning things into things that they weren't and aren't, that's God's work. Declaring things as though they're not, that's God's work, even though sometimes through us. Look at the end of the passage, 5 to 7. It says, and when he comes, who's that? Jesus, the righteous king. When he comes, he'll open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. That's God's work. We saw Jesus do it. Now, yeah, Jesus gave us his mission. He said, you have authority to heal the sick. We all know it's the power of God. Not one of us here, I I doubt, is tempted to think it's my own innate power that brings the miraculous. God does that. We just get to be sort of conveyors of it, gloriously, sometimes. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy springs again now we've got this life happening springs gushing forth in the wilderness streams will water the wasteland the parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land we cannot satisfy parched souls with our own words and our own brilliant ideas we can proclaim the truth and trust that the Lord Jesus is there sending his Holy Spirit to bring life where there was death When we get to watch it, we get to be a channel of it sometimes, but you know we can't do it. This is God's work. I just want to make sure that you know you are not responsible for the miraculous. But that doesn't mean you don't get to be a part of it. So that's God's part. Now, what's our part? What's our part? Right tucked in the middle, I think, is our job description. And it says it like this. With this news, what's the news? God's seriously working. The news is, the king is coming, the king is here, water's gushing in deserts, flowers, abundance, joy. That's, his, that's what he's doing. Remember uh, John 10.10? 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Isaiah 35 looks like abundant life to me. So with this news, he says, now here's what you get to do. Strengthen those who have tired hands. And encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. And do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. God's coming to save you. So there's uh, strengthening and there's encouraging and there's declaration. And this is really, really practical for us. Very practical. How can you strengthen tired hands? What does that actually look like? It's really not complicated. You've got a tired hand that you see and you have a strong hand that you have. This is what it looks like. 
I know, it's profound. This is flesh-to-flesh compassion. This is hands-on love. That's what it means to uh, encourage, to strengthen those who have tired hands. It's physical. It's active. It means you're there and you're present. If someone's weak and they can't carry something, we carry it for them. I mean, sometimes it's easy to spiritualize the whole Christian walk. And though I think there's a deep spiritual element, obviously, we can never say that the outer is less, is, is, uh, less important than the inner. We can never say that. Jesus' work was manifested in the flesh. Ours is an incarnational faith. You know what incarnation means? In flesh. We're the flesh. He's in us. So to strengthen those who have tired hands is very practical. Someone needs help, help them. Lend strong hands. Be there. Just be there. How many of you have been incredibly encouraged in your life sometime when you were in a, in a fix, in trouble and despairing, and someone just showed up and sat there for you? I mean, in my job, and, and especially Barry, who's the big pastor in our Barry's got the pastoral gifting. Barry's gift is being there. It's not a Peter Sellers movie, okay? Barry's gift is to be present. So many times I've walked into hospital rooms or into homes where there's desperation and difficulty and brokenness and sickness or, or, um, or difficulty, and I didn't know what to say and I didn't know what to do. You guys been there? And, and your first thought is, I, I, there's, I, I will avoid and that's that the devil himself speaking. Because what is required is your presence. Not your perfect words, not your perfect actions, by all means, not your solutions, simple solutions to life, life's complex problems and mysteries. At a, at a time of difficulty, people don't need theological exposition. They need Jesus incarnated, right? They need, they need uh, someone's hand around them. They need tears that come from a heart touched by God. I mean, that's my experience. That's what I need. Can I speak a harsh word to husbands? The wives are going, yeah, go right at it. <laughs> Sometimes to strengthen those who have tired hands is husbands. It's two words. Rhymes with ut up. <laughs> be quiet. Be, be quiet. Don't fix your wife's problems, at least right away. Listen. I mean, I think that's what it means to strengthen those who have tired hands. Just listen. Just listen. Just be there. Just be present. Just allow your heart to be touched by what she's feeling and what she's going through. And don't immediately bring what you, ex- you think is your perfect logic to fix everything, right? I have a theory, okay? It's not tested, but I think it's pretty good. And my theory is this. Women have been given a certain volume of tears. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Women have been given a certain volume of tears that have to be expressed out of their eyes. All right? It has to happen. And men, when we stop the tears too soon, guess what? They just rear up and they come back again. (laughs) This is 27 years of marriage speaking right here. And a lot of Mr. Fix-It gone bad, right? Just listen. In fact, I think that a man's job often is to encourage the tears, and I mean that in a sensitive way. 
let them be broken so that the healer can come. I mean, I'm just talking to myself. Let them be and be there with them. And then Jesus gets to come in and fix things. And half the time they'll turn around and they'll say thank you to you. (laughs) And you realize you didn't do anything. That's the beauty of it. That is the beauty of it. I got off. Strengthen those with tired hands. One translation says, encourage the exhausted. Okay? People need it practically. We need it practically. The kingdom, the church needs it. The unbelievers out there who have no rest for their souls need the strengthening of their tired hands with our strength that comes from Jesus. What about encouraging weak knees? Again, it's real simple. Someone's got weak knees. Their foundation is unstable in some way. It's physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's intellectual. They've got weak knees. Be a shoulder to lean on. Just be a shoulder to lean on. Again, presence is number one. Before words and before action. Strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Place courage inside the heart of one with weak knees. Declare the truth to them. Walk with them. You know, sometimes we think if I'm going to strengthen and encourage someone, I have to do it for them. And sometimes if hands are tired or knees are weak, people need help. Physically and emotionally, they need help. But in the end, you don't get strong from inaction, right? Inaction doesn't actually strengthen. Inaction leads to what? Atrophy. That's when muscles just kind of shrivel up because they've not been used. That type of rest will kill a believer. But uh, action leads to strength. And so when you find someone who is spiritually, physically, emotionally, they're, they're weak, they're wobbly, you can see it in their knees. You know, they're unstable. Don't just do for them what you think they need. Sometimes you need to do it with them, right? You come up and you say, I know this is going to be hard. I know you feel unstable, but we're going to walk through this together, right? That's what it looks like practically to encourage those with weak or unstable knees. About 15 years ago, we were living in Pennsylvania. We'd been overseas as missionaries, and I felt like a failure. And we came back. I was out of ministry, living in a small town in Pennsylvania, and I was working in business and and, and learning a lot. God was doing a lot of good things in me. And we were in a small Episcopal church of about 200 people out in the boonies. And um, I was just trying to figure out life and God and what happened, literally. And one day after the service, the, the priest, the pastor came up to me and he said, Randy, I want, you to, um, I want you to lead our alpha program at the church. We've never done it before, but I want you to lead this 12-week program. I want you to organize, get the leaders, train the leaders. I want you to give the messages that explain the gospel. And, you know, 12 weeks, I want you to lead the retreat on the Holy Spirit, three talks, and then bring the power of God. And I said, no. I mean, I, I said, no, you're, I didn't say you're stupid. I thought you're stupid. I, I can't do that. I don't have that. I can't find God myself. I mean, I'm just, my knees were so wobbly. I was just beginning to get my spiritual feet again, honestly. 
I said, no, Jim, I, I, I can't do that. And um, this is a, a church with a structure that's a little bit more hierarchical and a little bit more emphasis on authority. And he kind of smiled at me and he said, Randy, I, I wasn't asking you. He's like, basically, he pulled the God card is what he did, you know. And, and I listened. I listened. I don't know why. I mean, it was a work of the Holy Spirit or something. I just thought, okay, something about his eyes gazing into mine and him calling on God saying, you're supposed to do this. A tiny bit of belief bubbled up in my heart. And Jane and I did it together. And we led, we led this Alpha program. And in a church of 200, there were 50 people at the program a lot from outside of the church. And we shared the gospel with people dealing with all sorts of stuff. And we saw people come to Christ and we saw people get changed. We saw people come into community together like they didn't have before. Because someone came along and they encouraged me and strengthened my wobbly knees by saying, we're going to do this together. You don't think you can do it. You don't feel like you can do it. You feel weak, but you're going to do it anyway. I'll tell you, church, we need that right now. Our body needs that. I mean, the kingdom of God in the city of Indianapolis needs that. The unbelievers that you walk around with need to know that they carry, they understand what I'm saying here, they don't know Jesus, but they carry the image of God. They were, they were created in the image of God. The, the spark might be out. <laughs> but there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's the imprint of the creator upon them. And sometimes we just need to let people know, you don't think you can, but you can. And I'll do it with you. And I'll be there when you feel unstable. And I'll tell you, we've got people in our own body that need that right now, right? This last, um, this last week, I was praying here in the sanctuary. I have a, um, I have a, a way that I pray. I go through the scriptures. I've got readings for every day. And so I just kind of am, in, am interested to see every day, what will my reading be? And I, I read from the Old Testament, the Psalms, the New Testament, or the epistles and the gospels every day. And I just see what's there, you know, and I never know. And um, Thursday morning, I was standing right here. I opened up my iPad and I go to the Psalm reading and it's Psalm 88. Okay. I was in a good mood, by the way. It was Psalm 88. Who happens to know Psalm 88? It's horrendous. Psalm 88, let me just check my notes here. Uh, Psalm 88 begins with, I'm overwhelmed near to death. And it ends with these words, darkness is my closest friend. And in 18 verses, 25 different times, something like wrath, pit, grave, despair, destruction, terror, or oblivion is mentioned. Okay? There's no hope in this psalm, I might add. It, you know, you think... Sometimes David goes through his manic times, right? And then at the end he says, but yet will I praise thee. It's not here. You know, it's wrath, pit, destruction, oblivion, and darkness as my closest friend. And I, I looked up at God. My first inclination was to say, is there something happening that I'm not aware of? Because <laughs> I actually feel pretty good. And I, and I realized, No. I praised God that I'm not in any of those places. And then the Lord said, praise God, you're not. Praise me, he said. <laughs> you're not in those places, but there are people around you who are. And then I read through it again. Then I read through Psalm 88 and pictures of people started popping into my head. Oh, this wasn't God's declaration over me. 
This was God's grace to me, helping me see people in our body and in our neighborhoods and in the city and the people we interact with who are living Psalm 88, right? They're living Psalm 88. The Heisers, Ezra Heiser, a few weeks old, you know, is going to have open heart surgery in November. He's this big. That's scary. Elise Stroll, 18 years old, a few weeks ago, diagnosed with leukemia. That's scary. That's hard. That's difficult. And those are just two, right? I mean, we, the body, the world needs us out there encouraging and strengthening, being there, incarnated, the presence of Jesus through our hands and feet and tears and shoulders, right? It's our declarations that God is present. Not platitudes or verses out of context. Not denial of physical reality when someone's sick or emotional pain. Not avoidance of people altogether or happy faces or smug presumption. No, no, not any of that. But hands to help, shoulders to bear, legs to walk, ears to hear, hearts to listen spirits to understand and guts to love. That's what we need. That's what I need. And by God's grace, that's what I want to be. That's what we are. Remember the vision? The church, individually but as one, kneeling, drawing people up, declaring God's good news from heaven's sight, repositioning ever so slightly so that God can come down and do what only God can do lead people to freedom. We get to do that. Like, I get little goosebumps when I think about getting to do that. Because it's not just me out there doing that. It's all of us doing that. You are the ones who strengthen and encourage and declare. You do it where God takes you. So, I'll end with a bold statement. If there's, if you're looking around in your life, and there's no one in your life right now in need of encouragement or strengthening or the promise of God's presence, then you're either in seclusion, in denial, or in direct disobedience. Because they're there. Now don't take condemnation and guilt from that. Take that as a heavenly invitation that you get to bring God's strength and you get to declare God's encouragement and you get to say to people, You know, I can't fix you, but your God is coming. He's coming with vengeance. He's coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. I mean, that's the gospel truth that we proclaim. We live it imperfectly, but Jesus does his work through us anyway. Isn't that grace? Isn't that grace? And to do that will require risk. We'll have to pull ourselves out of seclusion and isolation and expose ourselves to the world. We might have to speak honestly about what's happening inside us. We might have to declare something of God that we personally haven't experienced. How many of you experienced this? Someone's really down and depressed and you want to help them, but you are so down and depressed yourself. You think, how can I possibly do this? Because God speaks through you. And you declare together, our God is coming. He's coming with vengeance to destroy our enemies. He's coming to save us.
Let's pray. Your communion servers, you can come forward.